This morning, I'm here at Campa, just across the river from the Charles Bridge. And around me are the three titans, three sculptures made out of tree trunks that, at least to me, are a reminder of the three crosses that we see in the crucifixion of Jesus. You know, for many people, the cross has become a piece of jewelry. It's lost some of the the fear and the dread that surrounded it to the early church. Those in the first century, when they saw a cross, they didn't see something of beauty. They saw a place of execution, of brutality, and of shame. Well, I want you to imagine what it would be like if you saw three bodies sprayed here, nailed to each of these three titans, these three trees. Imagine what that would be like here in the beauty of Prague to see such brutality. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Well, today, what I want to do is examine the three crosses. And we're going to look specifically at the man in the middle, Jesus Christ. But on either side of him are two others. And each of them have a significant story to tell from their encounter with Jesus. And I hope today, as we explore the scriptures, you're going to discover just how significant the man in the middle is. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. 
Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. The man in the middle, that's the focus of what we're going to look at today. And it's very appropriate, the two companions that join him there in his crucifixion. Because the two companions represent two different responses, first of all, to suffering, and secondly, the response that we have to Jesus Christ. We can lash out at God and say, why am I in this mess? And why don't you do something about it? This is the response of pride. And it was the response of the thief on Jesus' left. Or we can acknowledge that we are sinners and that in truth, God does not owe us anything. We don't deserve his goodness. We don't deserve his rescue. This is the response of humility. And we see the difference between a holy God and us. Humility says simply, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's such a powerful and yet beautiful statement. And those were the words of the thief on the right. Last week, 
we dealt with Pilate. And I, I showed you how Jesus followed the same process that he told us the Holy Spirit would use in the lives of people in pointing them to conviction. In dealing with sinful humanity, he brings conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of judgment. We see the same three elements at work at the very heart of the repentant thief. Jesus' very first words that we see on the cross are words of grace, where God's love is extended out to all of humanity, specifically towards those who were present at the crucifixion. Jesus offers forgiveness. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God used grace and the offer of forgiveness to bridge the gap between sinful humanity and to be the mechanism that would bring conviction into the hearts of those who are willing to listen. The first thief makes a self-focused demand. It was all about him. He did not care that an innocent man was dying. Even less, he did not care that God's own son was dying in his place. His heart was so self-centered that nothing else, no one else, truly mattered. Prior to Jesus' words of forgiveness and grace, the other Gospels tell us that both thieves mocked him. But seeing the love of God displayed in Jesus, in his prayer of forgiveness, the thief on the right, his heart is softened through the conviction of the truth. He sees that he himself is a sinner and receiving the punishment that he deserves. But he also sees that Jesus Christ, the man in the middle, is innocent. That the king of the Jews, in fact, the king of the universe, did not deserve the punishment that was being brought upon each of these individuals. Now, here's what's incredible. Jesus, in his most excruciating moments on the cross, is still focused on doing the one thing he came to do, to seek and to save the lost. Do you see the heart of our Lord? that at the moment when he is under the most intense pain and agony, he is still reaching out in grace to both men and to those who are gathered around watching. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's his mission. That's how far he's willing to go. That's how much he loves you and me. I want you to think back to an event that happened a week before. We read about it a few weeks ago in Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 9, it says this, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. He says this to Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think of the similarities of Jesus' statement before in Luke 19 and what he does and what he says on the cross. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a thief. He admitted that he had defrauded people. But because he had an encounter with Jesus, he wanted to make restitution. He was willing to pay them back. There was a change in his heart and in his life. Jesus answers and says, today salvation has come to this house. On the cross, he tells the repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Jesus, even at his last moments of his earthly life, is fulfilling his mission. At the lowest point, after all of his suffering, he is still focused on people. He is still focused on loving those who have nothing in and of themselves to make them lovable. Now the two thieves that we see, the one on the left and the one on the right, represent all of humanity. You see, we're either one or the other in this story. These two were Jesus' last companions on earth, and they bear a striking similarity to God's first human companions on earth. The two thieves take us back to the Garden of Eden and to the fall of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned and willfully chose to disobey God's direct command, they committed a crime. Have you ever thought about what that crime really was? It's not spelled out specifically as a crime in the scripture, but in essence, what they did is Adam and Eve took the one thing, in fact, the only thing in all of God's earthly creation that wasn't already theirs. God had given them dominion over everything except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve took that fruit and ate it, they not only disobeyed God, but they stole from him as well. They were thieves. God cast the two thieves out of paradise and out of his presence. And that brings us to the two thieves on the cross. Jesus was crucified between two people who were convicted of stealing. It could have been any kind of criminal. It could have been a murderer or a rapist, a seditionist, could have been a rebel. But it specifically tells us in the scripture that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One thief, the one on the right, humbled himself before Jesus. Jesus forgives him and tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. What a contrast to the fall, where the two thieves, Adam and Eve, tried to hide their sin, tried to hide their crime from God. They hid away. They covered their shame and their nakedness. The thief on the cross simply acknowledged that he deserved what he was receiving, and he humbly asked the King of glory to remember him. You see, that's how God invites us to come to him. In the garden, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for fruit. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve were thieves as they sought to steal God's glory and to take the only thing he had forbidden them from having. They could have had the tree of life. It was a gift that was theirs. But instead they chose the tree of knowledge and good and evil because it had been denied to them and because they were tempted by Satan. Now the truth is, they already knew good. They already had a knowledge and an understanding of good because they were in the very presence of God. And so the only thing that the tree offered them in the end was evil and to be separated from God. At the cross, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life stood as one in the cross of Jesus Christ, in the man in the middle. 
You see, the tree of death, the cross, became the tree of life for us. Now let me show you why I say that the the thief on Jesus' left is the one who was selfish and, and why I believe that the thief on the right was the one who was repentant, who obtained the promise of being with Jesus today in paradise. Jesus' teaching about the end of the age in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the very foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. One thief, the thief on the left, complained with a curse towards Jesus Christ. He revealed his true nature, his true heart. He cried out, God, do something for me. I want this life. I'm not concerned about the life to come. In Romans chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, You who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself and the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. That's represented in the thief on the left, the one who was only concerned about himself and wasn't willing to simply say to the king of the universe, to Jesus Christ, remember me. The other thief, however, confessed Christ Jesus to be who he truly is. He confessed his fear of God. He understood what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, faith begins with fear. It's a recognition that he has all authority, all power, and that he is righteous, and that before him, we need to bow humbly before him. We recognize in that way that he is holy. He doesn't owe us anything, but in truth, we owe him everything. God is righteous and we are sinners who deserve death and punishment. Unless a person wakes to the truth of God's coming judgment upon our sins, they will face his wrath. That's what the scripture tells us. 
There's no other option. We're either going to be the thief on the left or the thief on the right. There's no other choice. God takes sin seriously. So much so that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to buy us back from sin and self. So what about you? What have you chosen to do with the man in the middle, with Jesus Christ? Have you responded like the thief on the left, saying, God, I want you to bless me. I want you to bless my plans, my agenda for my life. Or have you humbled yourself and simply said, Lord, remember me. You are righteous. You are holy. That's what the thief on the right did. Faith requires us to recognize God for who he truly is. Secondly, it requires a confession of our own guilt. That's what the thief on the right did. It says this in Luke 23, 40. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly? For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. This must be the position of anyone who's going to be saved. As long as we cling to our, to our own self-righteousness, to our own worth, to our own trying to prove that God should forgive us, that God should honor us, that God should bless us, we remain separated from God. But when we humble ourselves and, and we recognize that God is holy and we confess our sins, our personal guilt before God, then we're able to hear the Lord say, you're mine. I forgive you. The thief on the right not only confessed his sin, he confessed his need for Christ. This nameless thief does one more thing he, he fears God. He gives him reverence. He admits the wrongs that he has done and accepts the judgment um, that he deserves. He acknowledges the goodness and power of Jesus. And then he simply cries out for help. Verse 42. It's one of the most beautiful sentences in all the Bible. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The conviction of the Holy Spirit enables us to see that Jesus is righteous, that he is innocent, that he is in fact the God-man who died in our place. He offers his righteousness in the place of our own unworthiness. And we simply come to him and say, Lord, I need you. Or as the thief said, Jesus, remember me. He confessed his desire to be with Christ Jesus, the King. Isn't that beautiful? So many times when we think about the thief on the cross, we think about how he's saved at the, at the very last minute, which is true. But do you see revealed in his heart a desire to be with the Lord by when he cries out, remember me? He recognizes the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is not just Savior. He's king of the universe. He is the Lord of all lords. And he will not settle for any position that is less than recognizing who he truly is. But what is more, he invites us to come into his presence because that's where we find life. Jesus promises the thief on his right that today you will be with me 
in paradise. Paradise, the, the Greek word there is the word for, for a garden. And it, it looks forward to the book of Revelation to where we see there is a garden and in the middle of the garden is the tree of life from which all people may eat freely in heaven. The thief on the right recognized that it was Jesus' kingdom. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The thief did not have the opportunity to, to serve the Lord. There wasn't anything else he could do, but he gave testimony to how every person is saved. He revealed the right attitude of a true believer. Jesus, ultimately, it's all about you. My life is yours because you are God and you have given yourself for me. The man in the middle, Jesus Christ, hung between two thieves, one on his left who rejected him, rejected his grace and his forgiveness, and one on his right who received it. So what about you? Are you willing to recognize your own responsibility before God? Are you willing to recognize that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, all of us are thieves because we attempt to take God's glory and have it for ourselves. The question is, which thief are we? Is life still about you? About your selfishness, your agenda? Are you seeking to steal God's glory just like Adam and Eve did and just like the thief on the left? Or are you ready to recognize your sin? your guilt, and your need for Jesus' indescribable offer of grace. And then give your life and put it into Jesus' hands just like the thief on the right. The man in the middle hung as a holy God offering himself for sinful humanity. Jesus' death on the cross was God's plan to buy us back from our sin and from our selfishness. It was his plan from the very beginning. It says this in Psalm 85, beginning in verse nine. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Verse 10 says this, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness, or it could be translated justice, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. And look what happens. Love and faithfulness come together. Jesus Christ lived a completely faithful life and he offered that life in replacement for us, as a substitute, as an atonement for us. So that righteousness, God's holiness, could touch sinful humanity and kiss us with his peace. On the cross, the love of God came into perfect balance with the holiness and justice of God. God's holiness was able to touch our need and bring us peace through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross. Faithfulness springs up from the earth this is Jesus' perfect, sinless life. And God the Father, his righteousness, then looks down and sees how his son has poured out his love and holiness and how they've come together. And he is able to look upon Jesus 
and then see each person who places their faith in Jesus through his righteousness. The man in the middle not only hung between two thieves, he hung between heaven and earth as the only acceptable sacrifice that could bring sinful humanity into the very presence of a holy God. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful? Isn't that a reason for us to celebrate, to worship, and to praise? Well, I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts now for us to participate in the Lord's Supper as we reflect upon the man in the middle, Jesus Christ, who hung between heaven and earth to bring the righteousness of God to touch and save and rescue sinful humanity. And Jesus Christ, the man in the middle, who hung between two thieves, offering both of them salvation, but each one had to choose for themselves how they would respond. Let's go into a time of prayer and preparation to celebrate the Lord's Supper together.